Hello and welcome to Deep Impact, a deep dive into Wildbo's most unloved work five years on. That's Elliot Diebold. And that was Ruben Morehouse. And we are back with Pact, uh, Bonds 1.5. So yes. when we left it, Blake and Laird had, had just decided to go off and get a nice relaxing coffee. Um, and so yeah. <laughs> this this chapter starts with them heading off into you know, a coffee shop to get a coffee in one of the most intense coffee drinking scenes I've read in a, in a while. Yeah, I mean, the whole thing just has this undercurrent of he's playing me, I'm not safe, uh, like, it's not very relaxing at all. And, and like, you know, it yeah. opens, Blake assumes they're going to, like, a little, um, you know, small town coffee shop, but he actually takes him to sort of a big franchise thing, so, that, you know, that, that all feeds into that of, like, this whole thing where Blake's out of his depth. Yeah, yeah. Um, and even though it's this bigger franchise uh, place, um, everyone always or immediately recognizes Laird. Like everyone, yeah. Th- there's a scene later on where people start crowding him to just ask him about things like happening in the <laughs> town. Um, but even from the get go, uh, he he goes to pay for the coffee, and the the man behind the counter, James, is like, "No, it's you know, don't worry about it." And Laird just kind of accepts it, and we get this quote that says. The ease with, with which Laird accepted suggested it was a regular thing, you know? And it's like, oh, so <laughs> he obviously comes here a fair amount and everyone just kind of knows him. And yeah, it it definitely sets up this scene of everyone being on Laird's side immediately and nobody being on Blake's side. Yeah, well, it's a bit of a power play. Um, mm. and, and I mean, I think the other thing about it is like, I think the theme of this chapter is Blake has no idea about fucking anything. Yeah, and and it kind of it, it fed into that a bit for me because like it, you know the uh, Blake's narration drew attention to the fact that that Led was used to getting free coffees, and I was like, well, I mean that could just be like a chief of police thing. Yeah, like like I've seen enough American TV to know that 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 you know they often get little perks like that. Um, at least yeah. in media, but also Especially it could in be small uh, towns like this. Yeah. But I was like, but also it could just be some like you know this guy's in on the magic. Like I, I just about every time a character's introduced in the coffee scene, I'm like, yeah. But do you think they're in on it? Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And Blake just doesn't know, right? We get yeah. no indication of who's actually in on any of this throughout the whole chapter. We get some impl- yeah. like uh, implications about it, but you know. Yeah, but it's sort of that whole thing of, like, you, you really feel how unsure Blake is because, like, I, I was so unsure as well, and I'm like, I don't know, they could be in and out. I, like, yeah. I, I, abs- I have absolutely no idea where I've landed on James, the guy serving the coffee, as to whether he's in <laughs> on it or not. Yeah. Uh, but enough about the politics of small-town police. Um, yeah. So then we get our first ever bit of actual magic being cast. Laird casts uh, – a- he basically takes some sugar packets and arranges them into a little – uh, symbol um, and says a few words over it so that people will kind of leave them alone or just kind of ignore them, you know? Yeah, and it's great because it just starts with him getting coffee packets. So, like, you, you just think Blake's describing him putting coffee, uh, so yeah. putting sugar in the coffee, and then he starts yeah. pouring it on the table and there's this sort of moment where I was like, wait, w- what's happening? And then he starts drawing <laughs> it into a symbol and I was like, oh, this is a magic thing. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, that was so that was really fun. Um, yeah. And I kind of like, like, you know, all, all the magic so far seems to have to do with just fucking with people's perception, which is just so great. Like, you know, because you get this image later of Blake sitting in what's essentially an empty half of the coffee shop and the other half of the coffee shop is crowded and people are standing, but no one seems to mind. 
So it's just yeah, like no one seems to get. Oh, there's seats over there, <laughs> <laughs> and it, it's reminiscent of like that hallway scene from from a few chapters ago, where it's just like it just doesn't make sense yeah. in terms of like perception, and it's great. Yeah. Uh, so uh, using the space that he's bought, Laird kind of takes the time to explain a bit more about how the world works, a, a little bit about magic and a little bit about his role as chief of police and also kind of magical chief of police. He, he explains mm. that he acts as like a, a protector to the town and um, as his role as chief of police, the kind of spirits expect him to take care of people on the magical side as well. Um, and that kind of ties into where his power comes from. Yeah, well, and it's interesting because he sort of goes on about how if he harms the business or something, like, the spirits would be mad at him, which is interesting because yeah. it seems to imply that the, the spirits aren't just malicious or something. Like, there's at least some sort of symbiotic relationship between them because otherwise why yeah. why would the spirits give a shit if a coffee shop closes or if people get, get stuck out in the cold? So I that's interesting because so far most of the talk about others has just been, like, oh, they're evil and, and you shouldn't deal with them whereas this seems to be the first implication that you know their their relationship with humans in the area is more complicated than that yes i think one of the coolest things about the system of magic impact is the idea of these spirits and we will get more information on them soon uh, so let's yeah. not go into it too much but sure yeah, well no it rad. seems to be implied <laughs> that almost all magic is channeled through or by spirits so mm. yeah uh, i don't know we'll see um, so at this point, Rose, who has not been seen since Blake kind of left the, the house, comes back and, and feeds, uh, Blake some information on lead while he's off talking to some, to some people in the coffee shop. Um, basically says that he's, uh, he's a, a chronomancer. He, he uses that little pocket watch that he's got as his implement to manipulate time. Yeah. And it's, it's cool. Cause they, uh, like Rose sort of introduces this concept to us that the implements and maybe even the familiars um a, a sort of symbolic of of the mm. power so like it, you know led's uh implement and his familiar being this pocket watch tells you that he's probably going to do stuff with time and and, all, and it's classic wild bow to just build the symbolisms and the metaphors into the text to the point where even the characters are aware of it um <laughs> like because yeah. that sort of symbolism you'd ex- you'd expect it in a good story anyway yeah. probably um, but it's just classic Wild Bow to take it to the next step and be like, well, I'm I'm going to make the characters aware of that symbolism too, so I can just cut the bullshit and just really go to town on it, and and that's pretty yeah. exciting. Yeah, it's it's fun because symbolism is something of importance within the world, as yeah. well as to us the 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 reading audience, you know, like yeah, well, just cutting the divide where symbolism is only something that that is for the readers and not for the characters yeah. um is is a lot of fun yeah it's cool um so laird is off talking to some people in the coffee shop and rose and blake are like oh i feel like we're gonna get played here <laughs> and then james says hey do you want to clear out it's getting dark and they realize that they've been sitting there for you know a few hours <laughs> without realizing um yeah it's it's hilarious because it's this whole thing where they're like, "Oh, we're being played," and just as you think, like they're they're literally going to find lead. They're like, "Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna stop this before things go wrong," and then yeah. just as they're literally halfway through that kind of thought, it goes wrong. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's already uh, too late. Um, yeah, because so far Blake and Rose have been freakishly good at kind of figuring stuff out on the fly. So it was great to see them kind of almost figure it out, but still get defeated anyway. Um, yeah. 
You know, they're not they're yeah. not too they're not too crazy good at this. It's such a simple trick. They're just sitting there, they're thinking, all right, you know, we gotta get home before it gets dark. And then it just suddenly is dark. And, <laughs> yeah. and as the reader, we've we've had set up this this thing of hey, you need to get home before it gets dark because that's when people get off the street and that's when others kind of have the space to do things. Yeah. And so as soon as you realize, oh, it's gone dark, immediately you're like, oh, shit, this has just escalated. <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's very immediate. Yeah. And Blake just starts immediately heading home, which, I mean, I, I guess is the best idea. I, I see myself being paralyzed with fear in that instance, trying to, trying to spend the night in the coffee shop. But it's probably not a good <laughs> not, idea. Trying to not get kicked out <laughs> by James. Um, yeah, I, I guess one thing we didn't touch on, which would kind of get in the way of that, is people in the coffee shop openly show hostility towards Blake when they realise who, what family he is from. Um, yeah, and not just because of the magical side of that. Like, you know, it's been set up that the town hates them because they're sitting on all this land. Yeah, I, I like, again, it's kind of blurry of like, well, do they hate him because of the magical thing or do they hate him because of who his family yeah. is or are the two kind of tied into the same thing? It's it's kind of, yeah, it's it's cool. Um, So Blake tries to head home, but he gets intercepted by three creepers, three creepy people, <laughs> Um, one of which uh, Blake saw in, in his dream at the very beginning of the story. Yeah, they give off a kind of a clockwork orange vibe, I guess. Like it's you know, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they, they uh, have this very like posh set of mannerisms, but you can tell that they're you know one or two steps away from like quick killing and you. brutal yeah. violence. <laughs> yeah, um, so they keep referring to him interestingly as Rose, uh, not able to differentiate him from from Rose Senior. You know, they'll say things like, "Oh, here's the Rose, but where are your thorns?" and things like that that are very much like. Can they even tell that he's not Rose Senior or perhaps Rose Junior? It's a bit ambiguous. Yeah. Well, no, I think it's Rose Senior because, like, I think in Rose's note uh, a few chapters ago, she specifically said that uh, since others are immortal, they tend to get mortals in the same family confused. Mm. Um, so, so I'm assuming they're sort of thinking of Rose Senior, uh, but th- like they they seem to notice that he's different just because he isn't awakened. I guess. Well. Eventually they do. I mean, <laughs> later we're jumping ahead a bit, but one of them is like, "Oh, maybe we'll make you pregnant," and then one of the other ones is like, "No, no, this rose is male. They don't do that. <laughs> like, they haven't quite put it all together." No, um, well, yeah, they 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 know he's different, but they're they're so out of touch with humanity that they they didn't notice the gender difference. Um, yeah, it's it's yeah. odd. Uh, and there's there's this recurring theme of there's, there's one of the guys is just constantly talking about skin and like flaying people. <laughs> yes we it's learn terrifying. later that his name is keller um yeah yeah uh, let me read out a quote here um i can flense your skin the other man said but without pain the movement of air as someone enters the room will have you arching your back whimpering in anticipation and it's like ooh, creepy that, it's, yeah, it's such a creepy visual because it, yeah. he makes it sound so nice but it's such a terrifying thought it's it's very confusing yeah and it's worth pointing out that these people you know look like people um yeah and so i i I think we really get a bit more into why the term other works so well here because they're just off you know um they talk Mm. weirdly they don't quite get normal human things that humans would immediately understand their names are just slightly off from what you would expect (laughs) to be normal names in this area you know like they're just other (laughs) yeah well, and 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 other seems like such a great term because we're constantly having this this beat hammered into us that 
um there's no rules when it comes to others um mm. like, like you can't try and classify them because there'll always be some sort of exception um yeah. And, and yeah it just it's a great all-encompassing thing for what i assume is going to be a very large variety of of fucked up yeah um so one of the three uh the female one whose name is ev uh reaches out to touch blake and he kind of flips out when when she reaches out to touch him um says don't fucking touch me and then slaps her hand away and then immediately realizes that he's he's done kind of an aggressive knee jerk reaction and it's <laughs> it's bad <laughs> yeah well it's a classic like you know he cuz he he loops it back sort of he 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 doesn't explicitly say it but it's he he's still kind of you know doesn't like being touched from you know whatever happened yeah. to him when he was living on the streets and so yep. it wasn't really something he consciously did, and and it it just kind of sucks that he's like, as he was doing it, he was like, I don't want to do this, but it was too late. Yeah, totally. Like he knows that it's a mistake. It's kind of this thing of like, a you know, a lion or a, a jaguar or something is is facing you off, and you know, doing a sudden move is probably the worst thing you can do. <laughs> yeah, um, but he does it, uh, and so they don't immediately aggressively react, but you can tell that they're kind of put off. Um, yeah. Yeah, their their tone changes and and Blake notices evil looks in their eyes after this more and stuff. Yeah, yes. And so Ev says, "Oh, you know, I, it's okay. Why don't you just give me your apologies?" Um, this is about where Rose comes back in and yes. reveals that she's kind of been trying to desperately look these three up, <laughs> uh, and and has this little cool moment of of kind of avoiding the trap that has been left for them, um, saying. Until we've resolved this issue of Blake's manners, I'm afraid he can't give you his apologies. It's too high a price. If he needed to make amends to someone else in the future, what would he do? And and it's this moment of, <laughs> what, hold on, wait, what? what? Yeah, I read that. No, uh, uh, there's like it, it took me a few seconds before the implication of what she was saying hit me, and I was like, man, what does that even mean? Like that's fucking yeah. terrifying. Like, yeah. can he just not apologize? Yeah, that's. I don't even know what it means, and I'm still terrified. Yeah, again, it's this, and, and we're kind of with Blake on this one as the reader, it's yeah, magic just doesn't work <laughs> in ways that you expect it to, even though you know yeah. it's magic, you know, like, at every turn, it does something completely in a different sphere, and then you, <laughs> you just get caught out by not expecting it to operate in this way, you know? Yeah, well, it's funny because so much fiction that has magic, like has magic which follows rules and, and and stuff, and I'm sure there's rules to this that I don't I don't understand yet. But there's something more magical so far about the magic in this, in the sense that it it, it defies logic. Um, yeah. Like magic in so many things has a logic to it that I, ha- I I'm not seeing so far in Pact, and it, it you know it's mm. it's very it's very magical. Well, we'll get into how the magic system works later. There is an internal logic, but it's not one that you would expect from <laughs> other kind of, you know, wizard and witch style stories. It's, it's yeah, exactly. unique in its own cool way. Um, so, uh, Rose and Blake kind of verbally joust a bit more with the three people, uh, the three others, uh, and, and kind of score a few points enough to seemingly endear them a little bit to pa- uh, Patrick, who is the, the leader. Mm. Um, they say, look, we know we messed up. Instead of giving you our apologies, we'll agree to give you consideration on a deal later. And, you know, they reluctantly agree to that. And then Rose and Blake kind of leave, uh, leave this little scene with these three others, um, seemingly safe for now. Yeah. Well, and there's a weird bit where he's threatening them and, and Padrick, Padrick or, or Patrick, um, the, yeah. the leader, 
seems to sort of imply that there's maybe a heaven and hell in this world and that due to Blake's lineage, he he's heading to hell or he's got some sort of debt or something like that. Yeah. And, and that's something that, like, Blake doesn't really seem to process because that was a bit where I was like, oh, shit, that's pretty bad. And he doesn't really <laughs> react to it at all. Yeah. Um, well, you know, there's the concept of demons and, uh, stuff like that. So it makes sense that there yeah. is a paradise and a, a good place and a bad place, let's call them. <laughs> um, yeah, it's interesting that Blake doesn't seem to click to that, but I, I will get into some more of that stuff later, <laughs> I think. Um, so Laird then kind of catches up to them and reveals that he was kind of watching them, um, Seemingly to just kind of see how they would do if if they met others, to see how kind of volatile Blake is, to see if he had any tricks up his sleeve, that kind of stuff, to basically test him. Yeah, he, he makes it sound like it was a test. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about um, this a bit more later. <laughs> <laughs> and and he, uh, we get we get the payoff to the setting up the loopholes in the previous chapter, where Blake is like, well, what about? A peace treaty. What about saying you would trust your daughters to someone like you and all these things? And Laird is like, yep, well, I, this is the loophole for that. This is the loophole for that. This is the loophole for that. This yep. kind of reveals very cleanly how he <laughs> just completely got circumvented lying. Well, it's funny because I, I, I actually specifically called out. I was like, Blake did such a good job at closing all these loopholes. And like, I'd gone back before, before the last chapter's recording session and been like, yeah. You know, I, I think Blake's closed most of the loopholes here. Yeah. And, like, I, I think I really underestimated how flexible the English language is. Um, and, you know, both Blake and I, I guess, are going to have to step up our loophole spotting uh, skills. <laughs> yeah. it's. We'll get more in- a bit into this later. We've got a, I've got a comment I want to read out about it. Um, but let's just leave, put a pin in it for now. Sure. Um, so, finally, Laird reveals that the three others they were talking to are fairies and gives us some details on fairies. Um, we'll get into this again a bit later in a monster corner. Um, Blake is pissed at Laird, but Laird kind of drops him off back home safely and says to him, look, if I were you, I would awaken as soon as you can, because it will just help you in all kinds of ways. Yeah, because like, Blake goes into the house angry and, and you know, he uses that anger to fuel himself studying more. But there's this bit where he kind of snaps, like Rose is trying to be kind of positive about the whole thing, especially because yeah. she, just, she just had a win. And she's just like, you know, oh, well, that actually went pretty well. And Blake's like, no, it didn't. It was terrible. <laughs> no, it sucked. And it was kind of like, mm. this whole thing was your fucking idea. Like, I don't know. I just wanted, I just wanted to give him a little something. It's like, Rose told you not to do it. <laughs> yeah. um, and then bailed so- you out. Yeah, so, I, I mean, I yeah. get that, you know, there's emotions and stuff, so, you know, he's just misdirecting his anger, but I was just like, no, you, you don't get to do that. <laughs> um, yeah, and, and the chapter ends with Blake and Rose just reading books, going back to the books. Yeah, hit, hit um, the books again. Um, yeah. Yeah, so I don't know, this was like a, I, I don't have much to say on this chapter as a whole, I guess, you know, we got to see some magic in action and, and Rose stepping up, but like, I think really this was just a chapter about teaching us how little we know about the world of fact <laughs> us and blake yeah yeah exactly uh so you know i'm just keen to get further into it yeah um so we, we've decided we're going to start doing a new thing to kind of dive a bit more into the time capsule into the past here um so as pact was being released people were commenting on the wordpress blog that's released on and so we have access to all these comments from five years ago um, I thought we it might be fun for us each to pick out one comment uh, from five years ago to see what kind of people's vibe about the story was, you know, when it was first coming out. 
Um, yeah. As well as, you know, provide a bit of discussion about these things. Um, so I've picked out a comment from somebody called Fantastico, which is a comment about the themes of kind of distrusting authority in, in Wildbo's work. So obviously at the time we had yeah. uh, Worm, which obviously has themes of distrusting authority. <laughs> and then uh, Pact, right off the gate, uh, sets Blake against the police, right? I mean, the chief of police, at least, which implies that he'll be set against the entire police force, at least by association. Yeah, um, and even less concretely, he hates, like, his his dad or his parents and his, yeah. and his grandparents, which is, you know, a, a, you know, sort of a type of authority, really, like uh, in down family lines. Yeah, which it's a fun little connection to notice. Um, and yeah. we'll probably link these comments in the description so you can see the full things. Um, but one of the other things I liked about this comment was it points out uh, – some of the nonsense with these loopholes. Um, for example, Laird could show up at the door in a panic and say, I swear that people are coming to get you right now, and if you don't run, you're going to die. And the meaning for that could actually be, your relatives are coming to get you for the funeral, and if you don't exercise, you'll die at some point. And that would just work with the <laughs> within the system of loopholes. Um, I like this. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely like, it, it's it's pointing out a lot of just how how flexible this stuff is and i'm sure we'll get a better understanding as time goes on um but yeah yeah, no he's right (laughs) one of the things to point out is the loopholes can be avoided just based off kind of the meaning behind it and you don't really even though you know the words you don't really know the meaning and it's Mm. you can basically warp the language to say whatever you want and still be technically telling the truth you know um yeah what comment did you pick out? Yeah, so I picked out a, a sort of early comment fairly on, but it was uh, it was by it was by a user called Notes, and they were just disco- discussing Laird's motive, uh, and and it's less no wait Notes comment asked raising all these questions about why Laird did what he did, but I really liked a response from Farmer Bob One, uh, mm. who sort of mentions um, that Laird may have been trying to make Blake paranoid and, and encourage him to stay in the house and not trust anyone. It's kind of like the first test may have been Blake agreeing to go with him was a test that Blake yeah. failed and this whole thing has really been a scheme to make sure that Blake will never do that again. Yeah. Um and that was just a really interesting angle and and a fun discussion in the comments. Yeah, something I liked in this comment was they pointed out, you know, yes Laird kept his word technically, but Blake isn't an other. He's still going to harbor resentment because yeah. Laird deceived him even though he didn't technically lie. Like it doesn't quite make sense what Laird was doing unless he was trying to get Blake not on his side, really. Yeah, and I yeah, I so I like this angle that he's just trying to make Blake paranoid in general, because that actually kind yeah. of aligns most of what he did uh better than most of the alternatives. Yeah. Um something else I really liked to see in the comments was there was a lot of speculation on <laughs> on what Blake's implement was gonna be. Um so there were some like a multi tool or a paintbrush to kind of fit Blake's like handyman vibe and demonstrate his different talents. Someone yeah. else pointed out maybe a smartphone, which I don't know what the symbolic <laughs> weight behind that is, but I just think it would be so funny to have a smartphone as like a magical implement. <laughs> Sounded like a really funny idea. Um so hopefully it'll be that. <laughs> I saw one comment speculating that it might be a mirror, which I thought was was a great one mm. and also allows them to keep Rose handy. Um, yeah, totally. So I, I like that idea. But uh the multi tool one does fit Blake's character as we understand it so far very well. So uh, yeah. 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 I'm interested um, to see. That's the end of our discussion on the chapter. But before we go, we've we've met a new other, and that means it's time for a new monster corner. We're going to talk about fairies here. Um, so 
fairies have a very kind of broad mythology. I was researching it, and basically fairies can really be anything. Um, but based <laughs> off the names of the three that we meet, which are Padre, Keller, and, and Esselt, these are all like Celtic or Irish names. And so we're going to focus on like Celtish or Ir- Irish fairy folklore. That's what it kind of seems to be hinting that they're kind of based in, right? Sure. Um, so the qualities of the the fairies that we meet are they're you know eternal. They have these otherworldly kind of senses. They they don't seem to care too much for physical violence and like wordplay. Except then they seem to have this undercurrent of really wanting to just do kind of Westworld esque brutal violence at times. <laughs> well, it, it's kind of like they don't like chaotic violence. Like you know, he's talking about sitting someone down and flaying them. So they're not against violence. Yeah. They're kind of against uh, just sort of recklessness, I guess. Yeah, um, and and Laird gives us one sentence, which is going to be pretty important, which is, he says, they're men and women desperate to entertain themselves over a very long time. And so we get this idea of fairies as, in this impact, as eternals who just kind of get bored um, and are just seeking to do things to entertain themselves, right? Yeah, well, and there's other bits of his dialogue where he implies that they've been exiled and maybe they've been around humans so long that they're not 100% fairies. And you yeah. know, there was a comment in another chapter about um, uh, fairies that thought they were vampires or something. So it's kind of clear that it, for fairies, at least, there, there's some malleability <laughs> in exactly yes. what they are. Which is um, a, a Twilight reference, which is great. Um, y- yeah. <laughs> so anyway, uh, traditionally fairies are, you know, humanoid, they're small, they have wings, and they're mischievous, right? But um, – this is a kind of different explanation for their mischievousness. They're not like tricky. They just want to entertain themselves. And so playing tricks on people is just a fun way to, to go about things, right? Yeah, they're not, they're not malicious or anything. They're just entertaining themselves. Yeah, they're bored. And, and I kind of like the parallel with something like Westworld, where they're eternal. They have access to this big old world, and they don't want to mess it up too much, but they kind of just want to have fun, you know? And so that kind mm. of takes... The same shape that, you know, Westworld posits that humans would do, right? <laughs> um, uh, so, fairies, though, are, are quite broad term, as I, as I mentioned. So, in Ireland, there are a number of different creatures that they would refer to as fairies from different places. So, there's, like, headless horsemen, ghosts, leprechauns, banshees, like, shapeshifters. It's a pretty generic term. Um, and there's also quite a strong tie to, like, the concept of Tolkien's elves, uh, those kinds of elves where they're, you know, eternal, they have a connection with nature or with magic, and they have this strong concept of, like, lineage and bloodlines innately. Um, yeah. We do get a line of Padrick as as an exiled prince. So diving into the royalty angle, there's there's often this idea of, like, courts and, and royalty within fairies. Um, they Fairies often have this, like, fairy realm where they're from. Uh, interestingly, in, in Celtic fairy mythology, there isn't often reference to, like, courts or royalty structures, but there's almost always a fairy queen. So it's a bit weird where oh, they, okay. they don't have this idea of, like, they don't have this idea of royalty, but they always have, like, a queen. So I'm, I'm not really sure how that, how that kind of squares away. But, yeah, there's always, like, a, an implication of royalty lines, but not necessarily any actual reference to them. One more thing I want to point out is fairies almost always have this power of illusion, referred to as like glamour, um, basically shapeshifters, uh, yeah. or they can make themselves invisible or stuff like that. So yeah, I guess we—I know we're going to see more of the of the fae of the fairies of Patrick and and his crew in Pat. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Um. So we'll have to see how much this kind of stuff aligns with with the mythology here. 
Yeah, well, because so far, I mean, a lot of this is so generic and malleable, but so far this kind of lines up with what we understand about others in general. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's it's interesting. I I think the the others we've seen so far, we've seen the, the bird skull creatures, we've seen the fairies. Um, yeah, it, there's going to be a bunch more of weird ones. <laughs> it's going to be fun kind of <laughs> diving into them here. Um, one one more piece of advice to Blake. I, I found out a lot about how to ward off fairies to protect yourself. I mean, you know, like, obviously fairies aren't real, but people would do these things as, like, superstitious things to ward off, like, bad luck or things that seem like bad luck, but are actually fairies playing tricks on you. Um, and the one I liked the most was wearing clothes inside out is apparently meant to ward off fairies. <laughs> because they like get confused <laughs> and then they just their confusion gives you enough time to escape before they cast any tricks on you um who came up with that like in real life <laughs> yeah i'm not sure uh but it's interesting because it, it kind of ties into the how patrick and the others seem to work where they they seem smart about so many things but just weird little things will s- stump them you know like they don't get male and hum- female human anatomy and stuff like that yeah, they're so detached from the mortal realm in some ways that it, yeah. Yeah, so we get this characterization of fairies as smart and, and love tricking people, but also, like, they can just get really easily tricked themselves by simple things, um, which yeah. is fun. And uh, we'll see how, if or how that plays in, I suppose. Yeah. Well, I think that's uh, that's everything. Yeah, that that is does us for for Bonds one point five. Um, if you're enjoying the show, please review us on iTunes so that we can get out there in front of more people. There's a link to do that in the show notes down below. Yes, uh, you know we've also got a website, mediumdpodcast.com, uh, where you can find links to our Twitter and and Facebook, and you know you can give us a like or a shout out on those platforms. Yep, and you'll find links to our discussion threads there as well as in the show notes. Uh, so if you want, you can jump into uh, the reddit and leave comments for us and, and talk more about what you thought about the chapter and that kind of stuff um yeah yeah and so our next episode will be out on monday the 7th of january we're going to be settling in now uh much like wild Bird did five years ago to this what is for us <laughs> a monday and friday uh release schedule yep um so that will be bonds 1.6 and we will see you on the 7th see ya see ya